are good. But who knows that we can always know more about Jesus. There's always things that we need to discover, not just about who he is, but about our relationship with him. No, nobody here has a relationship with Jesus. Okay, now I'm just stalling for time here while I get my notes up. If this one's working, yes. Right. I've called my message this morning, No Surprises Here. Because if we go back to the beginning, we had Adam and Eve. And who knows that they didn't do a very good job of keeping God's principles, plans and laws for their life. And when they failed at that, God promised them a saviour. And so we know that contrary to some people's views on the matter, when Jesus was born, it wasn't a surprise. And yet, judging by the reaction of the Jews, it was almost as though it was like, who is this guy? I I, I didn't know about this. Why wasn't I told? When did the news come out? And yet, we, we see that even in the story of Adam and Eve, which begins back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There is a reference to the fact that despite how bad their situation looks, God has a plan to do something different. And if we read Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And, and by the way, God's talking to the serpent here, who is the devil. And he says, And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And some of you are thinking, it doesn't even mention Jesus. How can you say that that's a a scripture that talks about the coming of Jesus? And I can guarantee you that Adam and Eve thought the same thing. Because this is actually a reference to what Jesus did on the cross. But I'm pretty sure that God didn't actually fill Adam and Eve in on what was happening. It wasn't that they, he said that, and they're standing there thinking, ah, I see what God's doing here. He's going to send a saviour, and that saviour is going to destroy Satan. This is a good plan, God. I like this. But they didn't say that. They stood there thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we've sinned, and we are going to cop it. And they were right. But they didn't, they couldn't actually see that. We can see that because we have the, the, uh, the hindsight, we have the, the two, two plus, well, 6,000 years odd of experience. And if that's the wrong number, I apologize. Um, so we know that God didn't reveal that to them. But as we go through the Old Testament, we can actually see that indications that God was going to send us a Messiah become more and more evident. There's a, a building picture of God's intent to redeem the human race by sending somebody as their Messiah or their Saviour. We only have to look in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And Isaiah gets quite huffy here. He says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh Uh-oh, spoiler alert. Isaiah is spilling the beans on what is going to happen. And he does it relatively clearly. 
He goes on in uh, chapter 9 of verse 6. For a child is born to us. So we know it's going to be a child. And this is, do you know how long before the birth of Christ Isaiah lived? No, more than that. It was nearly 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so this is a long time before that. And he's, he's, he's getting, you know, it's, a, it's a, going to be a baby. It's going to be a baby boy. It says, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So there are prophecies in Psalms, Jeremiah and, and Micah, just to name a few. In fact, there are over a hundred prophecies which indicate that God was going to send a saviour to redeem the human race. So Jesus' birth was not a surprise. I mean, it wasn't a surprise to Mary either. She had three, nine months, three months, that was a quick one, nine months to recognise this. And there's even prophecies in the Old Testament. I mean, because you sort of think between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years where God didn't speak to his people. So you think, well, 400 years is a long time. We might forget over 400 years. No? I'm the only one who'd forget? Uh, I mean, I forget after 10 minutes. So you sort of think, well, it's okay. They they could have forgotten. But there's prophecies in the Old Testament about somebody who will come and actually tell people about the coming of Jesus Christ just before he comes. It says in uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3, Listen! It is the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, makes a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. And this person was, of course, John the Baptist. The Gospel of Mark starts with these words. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for, Lord, for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Which is basically what we've just read in Isaiah 40. And it says, the messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So, do you get the feeling that there was a, a build-up? There was a well-orchestrated advertising campaign. God had employed the best. He had gone to, who's a good advertising agency? KWP. Um, somebody else, perhaps. And he, he'd said, look, I want to orchestrate... Cleminger. Cleminger, there you go. I want to orchestrate this advertising campaign for my son, and you've got seven or 800 years to do it. So don't rush it all at once, but I want it spread out and I want some clear indicators. And so if we look through the Bible, we can see that God was not mysterious about this. He, he sent people to let the Jews know that the Messiah was coming. And so the interesting question and the depressing question, if you like, is how come the Jews missed it? Because it's a bit like, who remembers that advertising campaign for, I think it was Toyota, with the dog who falls off and goes... Bang. See, I can remember the dog and what he said, but I'm not too sure. I think it was Toyota. 
but I, you're not sure. And that's one of those ideas, a successful advertising campaign that's so successful it's useless because nobody remembers who it's advertising. And I think possibly the Jews fell prone to, to this problem that it had become so obvious they'd forgotten what was actually happening. And so God's chosen people missed the signs and when their saviour arrived they didn't recognise him and they certainly didn't welcome him. Now over the next few weeks and months I actually hope to take us on a journey to look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels and a journey which will hopefully reveal to us that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah, that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. But one question in all of this we need to think about is, how did the Jews miss it? And why didn't they recognize Jesus? Because it's easy to think that the Jews were stupid. I mean, we can read about it and think, I mean... Come on, what were you guys thinking? But I happen to know that they were actually ordinary people, just like you and me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've looked at people and I've gone, what were you thinking? And I'm sure sometimes people have looked at me and they've said, what were you thinking? I'm going to stop doing that because my head's hurting. (laughs) Yeah, where was I? I'm feeling a bit dizzy. So... They weren't any different to us, which means that it's highly likely that we're actually missing some of the things that God actually has for us, because we're doing the same as the Jews. We're looking in the wrong places for the wrong things and ignoring what God has for us, because do you know what? The key, I believe, to getting hold of what God has for us is understanding, and and, I read the Bible, and Everything I read, everything I hear about God, everything I've experienced about God tells me that he wants to be in my life. He wants to bless me, to direct me, to correct me, and to lift me up. Is anybody with me? But in all of that, the other thing I've discovered, I mean, and we know this, Matthew chapter 7 verse 11 says it, so if you sinful people, and he's talking about us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So we know God is for us. God is with us. God wants us to succeed. God has a plan for us, a purpose, a destiny. But, repeat after me, but. I also know that God gives his blessings as seeds. God did not give us Jesus Christ as a fully grown man ready to preach the word of God. He gave us a squalling baby in a manger who couldn't talk, just like every other baby, who went through teething, probably got rashes, holy rashes, but he, it, God gave us a seed. The Messiah grew, took him 30 years to grow before he entered his ministry, which lasted less than four. And so sometimes we ignore what God gives us because it's small and seemingly insignificant. We miss opportunities because our expectations are more worldly than godly. We look for the finished product rather than the components that we could use to build it. We're an instant society. We want to add water. We would rather win the lottery 
than rely on God's promise to give us the ability to be prosperous. See, God doesn't promise us prosperity. He actually promises us the ability to become prosperous. And who knows, to become something takes work. Who likes work? We were built to work. We should like work. Who likes work? Come on, say it even if you don't believe it. You, you love work. We love work. We were built to work. We need to, we need to start preaching to ourselves. We love work. And we should love work because let me tell you, I've seen a lot, of when you, a lot of you when you're not working and I think you should be working. Because you know, when you're not working, you get obsessive about the wrong sorts of things. Netflix. Just thought I'd throw that one out there. <laughs> that was one of those that didn't even ripple when it hit the ground. So we need to understand that when it comes to knowing Jesus, when it comes to understanding what God is putting into our lives, that there's a seed that comes into our lives. God does not give us the complete picture. I mean, for Christmas this year, a number of us got together and we gave my son a saw, a compound mitre saw. And when you plug it in, it makes a heck of a lot of noise and cuts wood really quickly and is a very dangerous piece of equipment. Now, when he was five, we also gave him a saw. It was battery-operated, the blade was that thick and couldn't cut through a feather. Because we knew, and he would have loved the saw we gave him this year when he was five, believe me. I mean, as a five-year-old, he'd have plugged it in and pulled the button and he would have killed himself. But when he was we planted a seed in there. He was, he was interested in building things. So I didn't give him a 25-pound claw hammer. I gave him a little plastic one. So that when he belted the television set, there was no damage done. But out of that seed, out of that seemingly insignificant toy, has grown a, a, an ability to use dangerous and powerful equipment to make incredible bits of buildings, furniture. Also, you just don't, he'll tell you. He's quite proud of what he's done. I'm not, I'm not proud of it at all. No, of course I am. So we need to look at the seeds that God is putting in our lives. Who here is a student this year? Can I get all the students to stand up? If you're studying 2016, you're going to be studying. Actually, can I come out the front? Come on, come out in the altar. I'm going to pray for you. Now, as students, I'm going to ask you some very... Come on, spread out. It's all right. I'm going to ask you an important question here. Do you want to do well? Do you want to do well? Yes. Yeah? Do you, want, do you want to pass your exams? Yes. Do you want to be able to sleep as well as study? Because yes. I know what it's like. Often, you give up one for the other, don't you? But... And who, who has ever prayed, God, let me just pass this exam? Who's said, God, make me brainy. God, uh, let, me, uh, 
let me just absorb all that information so that I could spit it out. We, we pray to God for some ridiculous things. But you see, God has given us the ability to be prosperous. Studying is being prosperous. If you're a student, prosperity for you is knowledge and being able to tell people that knowledge. And so what I want you to do this morning is to look inside yourself. God has given you a brain. And when, it, when you're a student, it's often the brain you use more than anything else. Is that fair enough? Good, I'm hoping you're doing the right things here. And so what I want you to think about now is how your brain works. Now, I know most of us don't know how our brain works, but we know that we have to apply study to our brain. So I want us to pray something different this morning. I want to pray that God is actually going to unlock the abilities that you already have. Because they're there. God has given you abilities. He's given you abilities, Cody, to study. He's given you brilliant abilities to use your body to do sport and to study that. But it's not all about physical stuff. It's about mental stuff. God has given you a brain which you can lock on to what you need to study to be successful. And let me just sidetrack here. Is anybody one of those students who sat in class and thought, why are we studying this? I'm never going to use this in the real world. Because I did. Half of my class, especially maths, I hated maths. I sat there, I thought, geometry, I am never going to use geometry. Turned out I loved woodwork. And when I came to woodwork, suddenly I thought, oh, this geometry stuff is really useful. And so you never know. Don't despise the day of maths beginnings. Because you do not know what you learn. And don't say that it's useless because your brain has the capacity to learn far more than you will ever learn in a lifetime. So we, I want to pray that God is going to unlock the potential that he has put in you so that you can allow that potential to grow. You will not pass exams by magic. But you need to pass exams by using the faith that God has put sufficient resources inside every single one of you to be able to bring those resources to, into play to pass all those exams. To do assignments that are worthy of what you know and what you can do. To be able to do and understand the questions that are asked of you. To be able to put into practice the mental abilities that you're given. To be able to study effectively. To be able to put into words and on the paper what is put into your minds. God is sufficient for your needs. Because he has put inside of you what is sufficient to do what you want to do. And guess what? If you want to do more than you think you can do, God is sufficient for that as well. God will not chop off your dreams. He doesn't put a cap on your ability. There is no glass ceiling in the kingdom of heaven. But it does require that you have a vision to go beyond what you can see is possible. You can do. You too can do more than you believe or think. Don't be shackled by other people's ideas of what you can do. But even more, don't be shackled by what you believe you can do. Expand that. Spread out. Think higher. Think bigger. Because God says, I have built you for such things.
you've got to be a smiling assassin. Because you have, you have a great personality. And I think people underestimate you. But I think you have a, a core of steel. And God is going to use that. He's going to enable you to push through things that other people can't. And they're going to say, how can Stephen do this? It's because it's not the exterior, it's what's on the inside that counts. God has planted something strong in there. And he's going to call on that and you're going to use it. And people are going to come to Christ because they see the, the strength of God in your character. You're looking at me nervously like I might say something. I might. You are the first of your generation. Not the oldest, not the youngest, but the first. That's a big one in big red letters that God has placed above your head. Because it's a beacon because I believe that God is going to use you to draw the people of your generation to him. You're going to ask me how. God didn't say how. But he said it's in you. You don't have to reach out to some outside force to get what you want to do that. God says I've placed it in you. Just bring it out. It won't change you, but it'll be more of you. You guys can sit down. Unless you're a parent. In which case, stay here. Can I get all the parents? And it doesn't matter whether your child is six months or 60 years old. If you're a parent. Wow, parents rule as a lot of us. You see, as parents, we know better than most people that our our children start as seeds. But we also know that the seeds that we plant in our children are incredibly important. And whether you... you I'm still planting seeds in my children and they're in their 20-somethings, possibly 30-ish. But I just want to encourage you this year, don't look for the completion of things in your kids. Don't look for the completion of things in your own lives. Look for the seeds. Look for the things you can start. Look for the new beginnings. If you plant seeds in your kids, water them and they will grow wild. And guess what? There's going to be weeds. Do your own weeding. Do not let the education system do your weeding for you. Do not let childcare do your weeding for you. God calls us to influence our children. And I believe this, this year, 2016, is a year where you are going to plant the seeds of God's principles in your children. Doesn't matter how old they are, they look to you. I mean, my mother's... 
four, I think. Her memory's probably better than mine. And you sort of think, well, she's a bit frail. She's getting older. I, you know, there are some things I need to look after her with. But still, I look to my mother for advice because she's, she's got life experience that I don't have. Sort of 30-odd more years of it. And I don't know whether she knows the influence she has on me. But I want you guys to know that the influence you have on your children never stops. You don't get to rest. I can be a bad parent now. So I pray for those seeds in the lives of your children right now. I pray that they are going to grow in the mighty oaks, that you are going to see the work of God in your children expand beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. Sometimes we're disappointed with their progress. Sometimes we disapprove of their life choices. But I believe 2016 is a year where they're going to see that what we have planted in them is going to bear fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can sit down unless you want to change your job situation. And if you're out there and you want to, I don't don't care whether it's just a raise, whether you want to change your job, whether you want to get a job, whether you want to change locations, whether you want to change the people you're working with. Because I want to tell you right now, God knows your situation. He knows, he knows, he knows. He is not blind to what is happening in your life. He has not forsaken or abandoned you. But he says, do not grab at opportunities in desperation. Desperation and faith do not live in the same headspace. God has a plan and a purpose for what you're going through. A word of advice. You don't have to be happy where you are. But I would advise you to be content. Because once you're content, God can move you on. Because he knows that your desire to move on is based on faith, not on desperation. It's not based on your financial situation. It's not based on whether you hate the person next to you at work. It's not based on the fact that you're bullied or that you're miserable. It's based on the faith that you are solid in the assurance that God has placed you where you are. It may not be the perfect place, but it's the place he's placed you right now. And that once you can be content with that, God will say, right, you've grown enough to move, for me to move you to another place. Don't have to be happy. It's not the same thing. You don't have to love what you're doing, but you have to be content in your heart that God has a plan. God has a purpose part of that purpose is where I am right now I am not out of God's purpose what I am facing is not something that God was surprised about like oops sorry (laughs) didn't see that coming no you are there for a purpose and the sooner you acknowledge that the sooner that God is going to say I see that faith move on
I see that change in heart attitude. I have better things in place for you. Don't be frustrated, be faithful. Amen. You can, you can be seated. This is the beginning of a new year. Let us not make the mistake of missing God because we're looking for the wrong things in the wrong places. Let's acknowledge that He is Lord. Let's acknowledge that we need to seek first His kingdom. And relax. Let's acknowledge that we're all a work in progress. Our journey with God is just that, a journey. We tend to look at a snapshot of our journey and judge ourselves on that. God looks at the whole picture. And we may be in a valley, but He can see the next hillcrest that we're going to reach. And He's encouraging us towards it, whereas all we can see is the dark. Of course, to have that assurance, we actually need to invite Jesus into our lives. We actually have to say, I I need God to guide me. As I said, I, I, I know that God wants to be in my life to bless me, to correct me. Most people don't like that. I'm one of them. To guide me. To encourage me. To teach me. But like any, I mean, if we've ever, anybody ever hired a private tutor to help them with their maths? <laughs> yeah, you actually have to invite that person to come and help you. And it's actually the same with Jesus. So I want us to do two things right now. If you're here and you know Jesus, I want you to begin, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes and begin to pray for the people that you know who need Jesus. And while these people are praying, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you right now to acknowledge that you need him. And I want to pray with you a simple prayer that will invite him into your life. Now, if that is you, just put your hand up so I can see you. And I just want to pray with you while everybody else is praying. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just a three-line prayer that we can pray together. Is there anybody here this morning who would like to pray that prayer with me? Excellent. For those of you praying for the people who you want to see come to Christ, I say amen. You can open your eyes. Look to the front.